welcome to Conversations at the College, a fortnightly podcast where we delve into interesting stories from those within the St. Stephen's College community, talking to people that make the college truly diverse and connected. Now, let's get into this week's conversation. On this edition of Conversations at the College, we're going to turn the table a little where the interviewer will become the interviewee. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Sam Turner. Sam, welcome to Conversations at the College. It feels a little strange being on the other side of the mic, but I'm here for it. It's fun. Now, look, we've all heard of the travel bug, and I guess at some point thought we've been bitten by it, but really? 70 plus countries? You really have been bitten, haven't you? Yeah, I think it was, uh, it was a pretty big bite. I always traveled since I was a very young age, and I was very lucky that my parents took me on a lot of trips. My father's from Singapore, so we went back to Singapore loads of times when we were young, seeing that side of my family. And from a very young age, I got to see a different type of world and a different culture, different cuisines, different ways that people lived. And after that, my parents took me on loads of other trips to Southeast Asia, Pacific Islands and stuff. And I've always kind of had that travel bug. Um, And it was fostered at a young age from my parents. So I'm very grateful to them for that. But being able to have those experiences at such a young age gave me a little taste for what I wanted to do in the future. And basically the 70 plus countries thing came about from, I was working in a cafe. I just finished university at the time and I was 21 and I graduated with with two degrees and I was still in this hospitality job because I'd kind of sold myself this idea, you know, just work a little bit more and then, you know, probably do some travel and then I'll get into a quote unquote real job. I'm making the coffee and I'm staring at the wall and I just said to myself, what are you doing? So from that day, that was kind of like my my breaking moment. (laughs) And I was like, nope, I'm going to go and do what I always wanted to do. Number one on my list was Machu Picchu. So I want to go to Machu Picchu. And I was working with a guy who had done a lot of traveling. And I said, Nick, I'm going to go to Machu Picchu and I'm going to spend three months in South America. And I'd never been out of the country for more than two weeks before. And he said, mate, if you spend less than four months there, you're rushing it. Really? So I started planning, thinking my three-month trip turned into four and my four-month trip turned into 12. So I I decided that my two biggest things I always wanted to see were Machu Picchu and the pyramids in Egypt. So I ended up spending four months in South America, four months in Europe, four months in the Middle East. And yeah, it was absolutely amazing. So that so was, yeah. Can you actually name, not, not that I'm asking you to do it now, but can you like mentally remember every one of the countries you've ever been to? Not really. So I have like a map on my phone, like this app that kind of maps all of them. Um, but I've been to most of South America, most of Europe, I would say half the Middle East, loads of Southeast Asia. But I've been super lucky to have seen so much so young. So what's the number one country that you've ever been to? Uh, it's too hard. It's like uh, choosing between children for me. Um, because every country has something different. It's always different. the middle child or the old one. Yeah, right. Uh, every country has something different to offer. So, for example, you wouldn't necessarily go to Australia if you were very interested in history um, because you don't have that rich, diverse history like you would in, say, Italy yeah. or you know, Egypt or somewhere of the like. So it's hard in that sense to say what is the best country, but I have like a framework. So for me, it's what's, uh, there's five top things. And if they hit all these boxes, then you're up there. So if it's affordable... Because I was doing long-term traveling, right? I ended up backpacking for three years. So when you're traveling for so long, you have to focus on countries that are more affordable. Great nature. I love being outside. I love hiking. Has to have some history that I'm interested in. Great food and ease of travel. So if I can get around, if I can eat well, if there's nature and there's history and it's not too expensive, I'm there. So I got a a short list probably. If I had to shortlist them, Japan, definitely up there. Georgia, 
Kyrgyzstan, Turkey, Egypt, Bosnia. So given all the places that you have seen, do you see any similarities in society structures in general or is it sort of as varied as there are a number of places to actually see? I would say there's generally not a common thread. Cultural and social norms are subjective, right? So how we live, how we work, how we interact with everyone is quintessentially Australian. So for example, when I was living in Korea for two years, I found it very jarring that you don't greet strangers. So as you'd understand, right, it's kind of our hospitality in a weird way that someone's walking past you and you, you, if you meet eyes, you say, how's it going? G'day. How are you? Something like that. And even though it's obviously not a deep conversation, it's kind of like this greeting. And when I was in Korea, it was very strange to not have that at all. Just have that switched off. So yeah, I think in terms of societal structures or how we operate as different countries across the world, there's so much diversity. Coming from a first world English-speaking Western country. And then, for example, when I was in Uzbekistan, I was staying with a family there and they have a complete... It's just a completely different world. It's an older country, older civilization, perhaps, and they have these quite old relationship models. So where like the women are doing the cooking and the cleaning and the men go and do the work. But still, it was very jarring for me to see that in a world where I appreciate equality so much. Yeah. Um, but even in saying that, like men and women sleep in completely separate rooms. So yeah, there's loads of different social structures across the world. I mean, there's just a lot of different norms and they're very subjective. So I'm not right. They're not wrong. Yada, yada, yada. It's just how our particular country perceives what's right and what's wrong. Is it something you've always wanted to do or do you think it sort of grew stronger as you sort of progressed in, in age and through life? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I initially had that desire to travel and it was nurtured as I started to do more and more and more. So my first backpacking trip, I took a one-way ticket to Brazil and it was very scary at the the start. Um, I didn't know any Portuguese. Uh, Flew right into Rio de Janeiro and just by myself was the first time I'd been out of the country by myself and I was very much out of my comfort zone. And then within a couple of days, I went to a hostel and I met some people and I just had the time of my life. And just meeting other like-minded people in situations where you're vulnerable, I suppose, um, but you're also having a great time and you meet people who have similar goals and interests. So if you're traveling and you're a young person in Brazil, you probably also have similar ideas on the world, you know, that you're interested in exploring, that you're interested in seeing how the other side lives. Once I saw that, and also I got a taste of the really fun side of traveling, you know, going to incredible places like the Iguazu Falls in in Brazil or seeing Rio de Janeiro or going to a favela and just having those everyday exciting moments, it really encouraged me to do it more and more. Does it take a while to get used to traveling and be comfortable traveling on your own? Definitely. Um, Because it would make it a lot more personable as a person, wouldn't it? It sort of forces you to to be personable. Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting because a lot of people said, traveling around the world by yourself, don't you get lonely? And I said, ironically, it's the exact opposite. Wow. And that's because, like you said, you're kind of forced to jump out of that comfort zone. Because if you just sit there by yourself in your little hostel bed by your lonesome, you're never going to have a conversation with anyone. You're never going to get to know those people. So you're just forced out of your comfort zone, kind of like a sink or swim scenario, right? And it just, for me also, that gave me amazing conversational skills to be able to walk up to anyone. Hey, how's it going? Read the room read different social cues, body language, see if someone is interested in talking to me or not interested in talk to, talking to me. And additionally, I always had that option to say, oh, I'm just 
going to do my own thing tonight and not hang out with anyone. Yeah. Or if I feel like being social, I can be that extrovert as well. Now, obviously, there's been some spectacular places that you would have seen on your journeys, but I would also assume that you've seen some of the poorest communities throughout the world where people literally surviving day to day. Do you think that being witness to that sort of hardship and suffering has made you a more empathetic person? I'd like to think so. You realise how blessed our life is here in Australia and that we really just won the genetic lottery. There's so many other cultures and societies in the world that have so little and are so happy, so content. After being in places that are impoverished or significantly less fortunate than Australia, it just made me realize over time that my success, that all my accomplishments and my achievements had come down to two things. It's winning that genetic lottery, being lucky enough to be born here, and my parents just raising me, hopefully, to be a decent person. So yeah, over time, I've just realized how blessed and how lucky we are as Australians. Going through favelas in Rio de Janeiro, seeing abject poverty. Because that must be hard to watch for the first time. Hard to see. It is, it is quite difficult to see it because obviously you want to try to help as much as you can, but you have your limits as well. Being in a place like Rio de Janeiro and the favelas and you know seeing kids run around in, in lives of crime and violence, there's only so much that you can obviously directly do. But I think the biggest takeaway for me is just seeing that and then being able to try and practice more gratitude in my life, contribute where I can, but just being always aware of that bias that sets in yeah. that, oh, Australia, life is normal, you know, but no, life is absolutely exceptional here. Uh, we have no worries compared to how most of the world lives. I was going to say in general, do you think that Australians take our freedoms and our way of life for granted given those hardships that you have seen? I would say yes, but I don't think it's necessarily an Australian fault. I think humans by nature, we acclimatise to our surroundings, right? So if you never had air conditioning in summer, uh, you get used to it. But now it seems like you couldn't live without it. Yeah. So I'm sure when you were growing up, you probably had no AC, but have the fan on and it's okay. But now to tear that, tear that away from you, you're like, oh, no, I couldn't do that, right? Just because... Uh, that's why I don't go camping. Right. <laughs> and that's why we just acclimatise to our surroundings as humans. And without seeing how the other side of the world live, we find it really difficult to empathize with those people and appreciate our blessings because these blessings are normal for us. Yeah. For you to drive to work every day in an air-conditioned car and turn on the tap and drink water whenever you want and go out for a coffee and be able to afford it. Because in some of these countries you visit, I mean, water is a scarce commodity, isn't it? Mm. It's not, you just don't turn on a tap and bang, there it is. Yeah, uh, especially, yeah, loads of poorer countries in, say, Southeast Asia or Myanmar or something, you just can't drink tap water. So just being able to do little things like that, it's obviously very difficult for us to be aware of how grateful we should be. And I think the, one of the only things we can do is go and see how the other side live. Yeah. Uh, take a trip, go to a third world country. Not to gawk at the people like, like a zoo, but to see their culture, see their way of life, see how happy they are with, with what they have. And that's a way we can actively overcorrect for that bias that we have that life is just normal here. Conversations at the college will be back right after this break. St. Stephen's College ensures every student is challenged and inspired to persevere and create their own future and to be the very best version of themselves that they can be. One of Queensland's most innovative schools, St. Stephen's College is the perfect choice for families wanting the best education for their children in an environment where they'll be cared for and supported as they transition into a new school. St. Stephen's College is a place where you'll feel you genuinely belong. 
Now, I've seen cases where some of the happiest people in the world literally reside in some of the harshest conditions or have been through uh, the most trying circumstances. Why do you think that is? That's a great question. Um, I think there's a few reasons. We're so spoiled for choice here in Australia and we live in times of opulence, really. We have great social networks in Australia in terms of uh, being supported if you're unemployed. We don't have to worry about roads, schools, healthcare. Everything is provided for us. And having that very high standard of living, I think, as well as being a capitalist society, it means that there's always a better car. There's always a nicer watch. There's always a better house. You know, see what the Joneses are getting and what we're not getting. Whereas in poor, poorer communities, since by definition they have less resources, their ceiling of happiness and contentment is lower, yeah. right? Because they don't have those opportunities of opulence and they don't have the opportunity to get a new watch. So happiness for them as a child might mean being with their friends and playing in the mud with some toys. Or as an adult, it could be having enough money to go to the market and cook a hearty dinner for the people you love. So I think the fact that their ceiling is so much lower in terms of what brings them happiness actually has really created a truly happy culture. And you're right, you see it across the world. It's not just, you know, for example, that communities in Indonesia are significantly happier yeah. or it happens in societies across the world that those that have less have more. And I remember once I was working down in Sydney and we had a volunteer in the office who was this elderly man, happiest, most genuine person I think I have ever had the privilege to have met. Mm. It turned out he was in a concentration camp. Here's a man, if you thought that anybody could be anti the entire world, I wouldn't begrudge you that because of the horrific things you've gone through and seen. I remember I sort of broached the subject with him once and he said, Rick, every day I'm alive is a great day. Mm. Does that reflect back to the, some of these people in these poorer countries where, you know, so long as you know, they've got food in their stomach and mm. uh, people around that they love, life is good. A thousand percent. I think it comes back to, you know, the goals and aspirations and things that those people want to achieve. I think we're taught in a Western democracy which it makes sense because this is the world that we live in right there's no escaping that that you know it's the australian dream to have a house if you look at these communities say look at a poor place in in laos for example where the average family the woman looks after the children and the man's a fisherman and they don't have that quote-unquote australian dream because it's an unreasonable goal for them to you know branch out of what they're that circle that they're living in so therefore their reality is that family dynamic, yeah. right? Is that reality is pure happiness is coming home with a catch, feeding my family, playing with my kids. And they don't have to have that desire for more because everything they have is in front of them. And it's nice to see such uncomplicated lives. Mm. Yeah. And I think um, having these wonderful accoutrements that we have in our day-to-day -day lives, nice cars, awesome phones, great cameras, all of those things are aspirational and achievable things that we want to have. But if they were away... Right. If we take all these beautiful technological things away, what do we really want as humans? You know, meaningful relationships, to be with our family, to eat well. Mm. You know, so it's kind of like I saw I saw an interesting quote a while a while ago that it was um, about these this tribe in the in the Amazon. But he basically said something along the lines of no internet, no debt, no credit card bills. You know, don't have to worry about keep you up with the Joneses, and then they call us uncivilized. Yeah. You know, right? So that's quite powerful in that message, Yeah, it's isn't it? it's just such a an interesting way to to see life in, in those communities where 
it's just the bare necessities, but you can truly see the happiness in them. Now, what's the biggest life lesson that you've been able to take away from all your travel over the years? Um, that's hard. Um, probably that just humans are inherently kind. Humans are generally proud of their countries. You know, they want you to have a good time, have an enjoyable experience there. Remember that when you're in Turkey, remember the, how nice the Turkish people were, which I definitely resonate with, you know, and I felt compelled to do that more to strangers when they're in Australia. Yeah. So yeah, um, I've been the recipient of kindness, so much kindness on my travels, hitchhiking through Azerbaijan at nighttime. And this guy came and picked me up and he didn't speak any English and I didn't even, I didn't speak any Azeri. And through Google Translate, he was basically like, you know, come and have a meal at my place, stay with me. We'll put you on your way tomorrow, yada, yada, yada. And yeah, I was hitchhiking. I didn't have nowhere to sleep, you know, so. Wow. From a complete stranger. Yeah, complete stranger. And I've had so many uh, times like that. In Morocco, I was uh, bit by a, a wild dog. And oh, wow. I had to go get the rabies vaccine. And I was in the hospital waiting for three hours. And this random man approached me, obviously, because I looked like I was quite out of place. And he's like, do you need help? And basically waited for me with the three hours. The hospital was the wrong place to go for the rabies vaccine. I had to go to the rabies clinic. So he drove me there personally, waited wow. for me. It was closed. So he came and picked me up the next morning and took me. It was just so amazing. And I've never, I've never been so grateful than when I was in those situations and just seen raw human, genuine kindness for the sake of being a raw, genuine human. No ulterior motives. And want nothing in return. Yeah. And I asked him and I was like, can I please, um, you know, can, can I take you to dinner? Can, can I get you, can I get you, give you some money or something, you know? Cause additionally, a lot of these places that I was in, they're significantly poorer than us. Right. Yeah. He said, no, I don't, I don't do this for money. I, I, I well, in that situation, he said, I don't do this for money. I do this for God. You know, wow. so more so he, it's, it's something that's bigger than him. He's not doing it out of his own selfish interests. And yeah, I've been so grateful, uh, so lucky to be the recipient of so much kindness. So I think that's really the biggest takeaway that I've had from travel. But the second one would probably be that life begins at the end of your comfort zone. That for truly, to truly experience life at the fullest, you need to push that boundary a little. I think Lao Tzu, there's a quote, he says something along the lines of the, the journey of a a thousand miles begins with a single step and it's always hardest taking that first step, getting on that first plane, booking that first ticket, going by yourself. But once you get out of that comfort zone and you realize how exhilarating it is, I, th I truly think that's where life begins. And that boundary is different for everyone yeah. because everyone can travel differently. You know, you don't have to be solo traveler, go to X amount of countries, but I think getting out of that comfort zone is so important and also realizing that humans are so kind. Now, has your extensive travels shaped you as a person, you think? And if so, how? I would like to think it made me a, a better person, a more, more well-rounded person, generally speaking. By seeing these sorts of acts of kindness? Yeah, no. definitely. They, de they contribute because you just see how interconnected we are, how our similarities far outweigh our differences, irrespective of race, creed, religion, um, that we're all just humans, you know, yeah. on this pale blue dot. But uh, one of my favorite Mark Twain quotes is, uh, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness, and many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. So just getting out there and seeing how the rest of the world operates, like I said before, how, how similar we actually are fundamentally, how a smile is a smile across the world, yeah. um, how warm strangers are, how welcoming people are to strangers in a strange land. It really opens up your world to people who are different and cultures, language, social norms, foods, customs, everything. And on top of that, it's obviously incredibly an incredibly enjoyable experience. But for me, I think travel is 
arguably, besides, of course, St. Stephen's College, one of the greatest educational devices that there is because it teaches you things that you don't necessarily learn in school. And it's, it's relatively similar to what Miss Haynes was discussing on our last podcast in terms of uh, outdoor education yeah. and those things that those tacit skills that you learn outside the classroom, right? Like time management, you know, being able to barter for uh, f- to a street vendor and trying to get the best price, stuff like that. There's so much that it teaches you how to make friends, how to approach strangers, understanding that your mum isn't going to be there to pack your lunch. And if you miss that plane, you're going to have to pay for that ticket yourself. Yeah. So all of those things really help to shape me, I think hopefully make me a more empathetic person, more understanding, seeing that the entire world isn't just how Australia is and how Australia views what's right, what's wrong. So it's just kind of a compounded effect of all that time abroad, I think. Now, before we let you go, I just want to quickly talk about this exciting new adventure that you're about to embark on. Tell me some more. My new adventure. Uh, it's a very it's a very bittersweet adventure. Um, I've been accepted into the police academy. So um, unfortunately, I'll be leaving the St. Stephen's community, which is, is very uh, a very sad experience, honestly, because I've had such a great time here in the last year. I've enjoyed working with the students. They keep me young because I'm getting so old. Um, it's, it's great. It's great running around, taking photos. Um, it's great being in such a supportive team. And, you know, I think a lot of places talk about culture and a lot of places talk about workplaces that you really want to come to and yada, yada, yada. It's a very difficult thing to build. St. Stephen's college truly has it. And coming to work every day has just been so rewarding. Um, working with you, working with the rest of the marketing team, working with the amazing staff, I can walk into a classroom. Hey, can I take some photos? Yeah, no worries. So anyway, <laughs> aside from that, it has, been, um, it has been very personally rewarding being able to have a great time here with the staff, students, and just feeling that St. Stephen's community uh, that have been very welcoming for me. But for my, next, for my next act, I will be going to the police academy, hopefully with the uh, intention in time to be a detective. And it's something that I've, I've thought about for a long time in terms of, where do I really want to go in life? Uh, I really do enjoy marketing, but for a long time I'm thinking, well, perhaps is it the right thing? Is it my purpose? You know. Yeah. So there's this Japanese concept called Ikigai, and it's a framework of uh, four elements of a Venn diagram. And this, the word loosely translates into your life's purpose. So if you can tick four of these boxes, you can theoretically find what you're meant to do in life. One of them is find something you're good at, find something that you love, find something that you can get paid for and find something that helps the world. And if you can tick all four of those boxes, then you find your life's purpose. I'm not sure if the police academy will tick all of them and being a police officer eventually, uh, but I feel like I'm drawn towards that vocation because I feel like it's a place where I can find purpose and find meaning, contribute to the world and hopefully it's something that I'm good at. Well, we're certainly going to miss you here. The contribution you've made to St. Stephen's College has been absolutely enormous. The things you have done here and the things you've accomplished have been nothing short of stunning and sensational. It's been an absolute privilege working with you, but it's been an honour being able to call you, my friend. We're certainly going to miss you, and good luck with the future in the QPS. Thank you so much, Rick. I appreciate the kind words, but I'm not out of your hair yet, so I'm going to come back for a final chapel, so hopefully see all your smiling faces soon. And then, yeah, perhaps in a year's time, you'll see me with the lights on outside and uh, we can have a little little tour of the police car as well for students as well as the staff. Thanks for listening to Conversations at the College. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, 
feel free to reach out through our social media channels. And we look forward to you tuning in to our next conversation.